Hey, good morning, everybody. I'm going to just move this real quick. <clears throat> I want to start off today by first thanking um, Natalie and um, the worship team in general. Um, we just, when Melissa and I were kind of called to that ministry, um, we didn't really know what it was going to look like or what it was going to be like. And, you know, there are times that we can't be here during um, the year. And we just want to thank the worship team for all the times that they've just stepped in and have been wonderful to work with and have led when we can't be here. And um, it's just, you know, I don't know how long we've been doing this, but it's been an amazing experience getting to work with all the different individuals. And so I just want to offer our thanks for that. And especially thanks for when we can't be here that everybody just kind of steps up into that role. So kind of speaking with that, um, you can see that I'm up here and Gail's down there and it seems a little odd. Why, why am I up here talking this morning when Gail's here? Well, a lot of the times when Gail's not here and myself or Scott or Jeff or somebody else will speak for him, you know, the only time that Gail ever gets to hear that is listening to it um, in recording. And we've, all, we've often talked about how, hey, wouldn't it be nice for you to be able to hear a lesson, you to have kind of a Sunday off and you get to hear a lesson in person? And it kind of worked out that way this week is is he had a trip that um, he needed to go on, and he kind of reached out to me. He says, hey, listen, I'm going to be there on Sunday, but to try to prepare for a lesson ahead of time, um, it's, it's going to be really difficult. Would you mind speaking? I said, hey, this is perfect. We've talked about this for a long time for you to be able to hear something and be there live in person. So I'm excited for that. So I, uh, I'm sure he is as well. So as he had mentioned to you, um, we're going to go into this this. Uh, book um, <clears throat> just for four weeks here called The Way of the Worshipper. And um, it's, it's really kind of interesting um, as we went into, as I kind of started looking at this material and preparing a lesson. Typically when I prepare a lesson, um, you know, I write it out almost word for word how I want it to sound, how I want it to come out. And uh, I didn't do that this time. Uh, so I'm kind of freewheeling here this morning. I've got a rough outline um, of what I want to say and the kind of the points I want to get across. But it's really going to look really a lot different than a normal Sunday morning would be. So as it looks different, I know that we get accustomed to first A happens, then B happens, then C happens, then D, and that's the way it is, and it's got to be that way every Sunday. I know that because I'm the same way. I know that because we sit in the same pew in the same spot almost every Sunday morning, and we've been doing it for 27 years. So it's hard to break what we're used to. So I'm asking, please, this may look a little bit different. Please go with the flow. Please go with the flow. So um, I want to just kind of read for you guys. You know, as you get ready to introduce something, oftentimes... Um, you try to figure out how you want to say something or how you guys or how you want to word something to introduce it. And as I was going through this material, I found that the introduction of the foreword said everything that I could possibly imagine saying about where we're going with this. So I want to just read it to you. And I know that you're not, you know, elementary school kids, but you're going to sit there and listen. Okay? So let me read this to you guys real quick to kind of give you a a taste of where we're going or what this, what this uh, book is about, okay? So, the four, or so again, the book's called The Way of the Worshipper, and the foreword's actually written by Rick Warren. Now, if you've heard that name before, Rick Warren, he's the author of The Purpose Driven Life. So I know that we've, um, we've looked at that here at Element as well. So let me just read this to you guys. 
<clears throat> Excuse me. Did you know God created you to be his friend? He created you to live in his presence, not just someday in heaven, but here, now, every day. He wants you to fill your life with himself. How is that possible? How can your life actually be filled with God? How can you live in his abiding presence? I ask myself those questions all the time. The answer is through worship. Living a life of worship is the secret to living a life of friendship with God. It's not that your worship somehow butters God up or earns his favor. Rather, worship brings your life into alignment with the grace of God. As Buddy says, and Buddy, um, Buddy Owens is the author of this book, as Buddy says, worship brings us into a deeper dimension of spiritual well-being. We are much more likely to live in the king's favor when we live at the king's feet. In the Bible, people praise God at work, at home, in battle, in jail, and even in bed. Praise should be the first activity when you open your eyes in the morning and the last activity when you close them at night. We're told to worship him continually and to praise him from sunrise to sunset. Knowing and loving God is our greatest privilege, and being known and loved is God's greatest pleasure. Why does God want you to worship him continually? Because worship enables you to dwell in God's presence, and that's right where he wants you to be. As you're, um, at creation, God designed us to live in, continual, in his continual presence, but after the sin of Adam and Eve, that intimate relationship was lost. Only a few people in the Old Testament times had the privilege of friendship with God. Moses and Abraham were called friends of God. God called David a man after my own heart. And Noah, Enoch, and Job had intimate friendships with God. But Jesus changed the situation for us. When he paid for our sins on the cross, he became the door through which we can enter God's presence at any time. We now have a standing open invitation into God's presence and to spend as much time with him as we want. The Bible says, now we can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God, all because of what our Lord Jesus Christ has done for us, making us friends of God. That comes from Romans 5.11. Because of Jesus, our friendship with God has been restored, but now it must be developed. Jesus said, I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I've called you friends. For everything that I've learned from my Father, I've made known to you. That comes from John 15. The word friend in this verse does not mean a casual acquaintance, but a close, trusted relationship. The same word is used to refer to the best man at a wedding and the king's inner circle of intimate, trusted friends. In royal courts, servants must, be kept, must keep their distance from the king, but the inner circle of trusted friends enjoys close contact, direct access, and confidential information. So... The way that this series is going to kind of look, and I just, I'm sorry, I just wanted to read that as an introduction to kind of give you guys a taste of where it's going to be. I thought it was really well-worded as you kind of go through and, and, and look at this lesson. So what we're going to do today is we have a short video, and I'm going to have them play it here in just a second. I think it lasts about 15 minutes, okay? Now, the video is older. I'm guessing it was made in the late 90s, early 2000s. Um, it's kind of dated. Um, we couldn't get it to be widescreen up on the big screen, so it's going to be small. And it doesn't matter what you see in the video, it's really what you hear. So just take a, take a, a listen or take a watch to this video, and then uh, I got some, we're going to do some different things here. No problem. Go ahead, and, go ahead. When, when you get it up and running, I'll stop. So I can kind of go into some of the things that I, I was going to say about the video. You know, um, 
And, and Jim, you just let me know when you're ready, okay? And when you're ready, I'll stop. All righty, thank you. It's, 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 I don't want to say it's antiquated technology, but it's a DVD. And I don't know how often we even use DVDs anymore, so we've kind of had to jimmy the system a little bit. So he's just getting that up and running. Um, I want to talk to you guys really quick as we kind of go into this. Um, again, this book's called The Way of the Worshipper. And uh, earlier this week, um, I had an opportunity with some other gentlemen um, to talk to Pastor Keith. Um, and in talking to Pastor Keith, he had shared uh, with me or with us about a, um, about a devotion that he had that, that really struck him. And in the, devo- the part that he shared from the devotion that he had, sa- he shared with us, it said, Uh, prayerlessness is our declaration of independence from God. Prayerlessness is our declaration of independence from God. And when he said that, I had to stop and write it down. I'm like, wow, that's really interesting. And as I was kind of working through um, preparing the, the message for today, I was thinking to myself about that statement that Keith had from his devotion, and I kind of felt like laid on my heart was, well, prayerlessness is the declaration of our independence from God, worshiplessness is our declaration of living apart from God. So if worship is about living with God, then worshiplessness is about our declaration that we can live apart from God. So I think he's got the video ready for us. So let's, uh, let's take a look at it. And again, just kind of lean into what he's saying here. with him? Do you ever wonder if he even knows your name? The pursuit of God is a chase of a lifetime. In fact, it's been going on since the day you were born. The question is, have you been the hunter or the prey? The way of a worshiper is a way of life. It's about discovering the secret to friendship with God. And it's not so much about doing something, it's more about being someone. Not just doing worship, but being a worshiper. The way of a worshiper is best summarized in Romans 12, 1 and 2, where the Bible says, Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as living sacrifices holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. And don't conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. 
You see, everybody worships something because worship was God's idea. He wired it into our DNA. We're all worshipers. And you can tell what a person worships by the way he lives his life. Now, some people worship idols and some people worship themselves. Some people worship money or possessions. Some guys worship their cars. Some teenagers worship rock stars. Of course, the problem there is that cars break down. And so do some rock stars, for that matter. But I want to talk about worshiping the living God. And before we head down that path, we should probably start with a definition. What, what is worship? What does worship mean? You see, worship is a lot more than just singing songs. It's more than just religious activities. It's much, much bigger than that. Our word for worship comes from an old English word, which is worth-skype or worth-ship. And it means to attribute or to declare worth. So that leads us then to a question. Because when we're worshiping God, we are declaring his worth. So here's the question. What is God worth? What is God worth? What is God worth to you? I think you'll find that that question can never be fully answered because the discovery of God's worth is both endless and endlessly rewarding. And you know that God-shaped void in our hearts that we hear so much about? I don't think that void can ever be completely filled because God always seems to make more room for himself. It's like every encounter you have with him leaves you wanting more. But you gotta start somewhere. So where does the discovery start? I believe that the discovery of God's worth to us starts with the discovery of our worth to God because the Bible says we love him because he first loved us. You see, God initiates everything. God is always previous. He's always ahead of us, even in our relationship with him. You have to remember that when Adam and Eve were hiding from God in the Garden of Eden because of their sin, Adam didn't go looking for God. God came looking for Adam, calling him out of his hiding place and calling him into a relationship. And if God had not come looking for Adam, if God had not come looking for us, our worship would be hopeless. So our discovery of God's worth begins by discovering our worth to him. We have to start where our passage in Romans 12 starts, looking at ourselves through God's eyes, looking at ourselves in view of God's mercy. But you have to say, well, why would God even care about us? Why would God want our worship? He's the creator of the universe. It's not like he doesn't have anything else to think about. Why would God want our worship? The psalmist said, when I look at the heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, what is man that you're mindful of him? I mean, think about that. Why would God love us? It just doesn't make any sense. Well, you have to remember that love is not just what God does. Love is who God is. It's his nature. It's his character. The Bible says that God is love. And regardless of our failures, regardless of anything we've done, God loves us. And he loves you. 
more than you could ever imagine. Now there's a story Jesus told in Luke chapter 15. It's commonly referred to as the parable of the prodigal son. It's a story about a young guy who went to his father one day and he said, I want my inheritance right now. Basically what he's saying is, I wish you were dead. I want everything that's coming to me and I want it right now. Amazingly, the father gives him what he asks for. And shortly after that, this guy left home, took everything he had and he left home. It says he went off to a distant country and he squandered all that he had on wild living and throwing parties. Well, after he had run out of money and run out of luck, he wound up feeding pigs for a farmer. And the Bible says that when he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, you know, the servants in my father's house have it better off than I do. Maybe I just better go back to my dad and tell him, look, I've, I've sinned against heaven and against you, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Can I at least be a servant in your house? And so he headed off for home. And the Bible says that while he was still a long way off, his father saw him, and he ran to him and threw his arms around him and kissed him. And he said, my son, who is dead, has now come home. And he put shoes on his feet and a robe on his back and a ring on his finger. He gave him back his dignity and his identity and his authority. Now, here's the interesting to, thing to me about this story is that Nowhere in the story does Jesus ever say that this young guy was a prodigal. And I found that there's a common misunderstanding of that word prodigal. Most people think prodigal means lost or, or wayward or rebellious. And you'll hear people say, you know, pray for my son or my daughter. He's, he's a prodigal. Well, but that's not what the word prodigal means. What prodigal means is extravagantly generous or lavishly wasteful extravagantly generous or lavishly wasteful. So with the true meaning of prodigal in mind, think back on the story. Who is the prodigal in the story? It's not the kid, it's not the boy. He's just a kid making some dumb mistakes. The prodigal is the father because the father is extravagantly generous with his son. The father is lavishing his love on this undeserving boy. The father is the prodigal. And so is our father. He lavishes his love on us, even though we don't deserve it. And you know, we can think of a million reasons why we shouldn't be able to come home. We can think of a million reasons of how we failed our father and brought shame to his name. And we think there's no way that I could be his son. Maybe I can just be a servant. But the love of our Father is such that He welcomes us, He embraces us, He forgives us. You know, there's nothing you can tell God about yourself that He doesn't already know. You just got to come to your senses and come back to the Father. And He restores to you then your dignity and your authority and your identity. The Father is the prodigal. And so is our Father. And that's why the Bible says, how great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are.
I gotta tell you about something I saw just a few years ago that was the most compelling, powerful picture of the love of the Father that I've ever seen. I was speaking at a men's conference for a ministry called Promise Keepers, and we were gathered in an arena in Denver, Colorado. There's 16,000 guys there. And on Friday night, as the program was starting, we began with worship. I came out from behind the stage to see how the men were engaging with the music and if they were singing, and just to kind of blend in with the crowd. And right in the front row, there was a man in, I guess, his early 50s, and seated right next to him was his teenage son in a wheelchair. And it was dreadfully obvious at first glance that this boy was severely handicapped. Well, I found out later that the boy had broken his neck playing football in high school. He was paralyzed now from the neck down. He could no longer see, and he couldn't speak anymore. But as the music started, 16,000 men stood up out of their chairs and started singing, All Hail the Power of Jesus' Name. And this father, he stood up and he turned to his son, put his hands underneath his arms, and he picked him up out of his chair. And he held him in a bear hug, their faces about six inches apart. And then he started to sing to him. And he looked at his son and he sang the song to him. Now the boy couldn't see his dad's face, but he could hear his voice and he could feel his touch. And as his father stood there holding him, singing to him, the boy with incredible effort was able to get just his right arm up around his dad's neck. His left arm just hung limp at his side, but he could get his right arm up around his dad's neck. And there they stood for 10 minutes with this father singing to this boy. And as I watched this vision in front of me, I remembered these words from scripture that I had learned as a boy. In the book of Zephaniah in the Old Testament, it says, the Lord your God is with you. He is mighty to save. He takes great delight in you. He will quiet you with his love and rejoice over you with singing. What I saw that night was the word in the flesh because I saw a father who was rejoicing over his son, was singing, taking great delight in him, quieting him with his love. I saw grace embracing brokenness. I saw joy triumphing over, over tragedy. You know, there was nothing that that boy could do to earn his dad's love. There was nothing he could do to make his father proud of him. This boy was broken and helpless. And yet he was absolutely beautiful in his father's eyes. And in that father's face, I saw the love and pride of our heavenly father who loves us regardless of our brokenness, in spite of our brokenness. Not because there's anything we can do to earn his favor or his love. He just loves us because of who we are, his sons and his daughters in whom he takes great delight. And he rejoices over us with singing.
So what do you do with a love like that? How do you respond to that kind of extravagant love and grace and mercy? Well, you can respond with disbelief or you can respond with gratitude. You can reject it and walk away or you can surrender your life to the Father's embrace and put your arm around his neck and let him sing over you and then add your voice to the song and live your life as an act of worship to God not out of a sense of obligation or duty or trying to pay him back but as a response of love and gratitude for such an amazing love that God has shown to you so we know what we're worth to God we're worth the life of his son Jesus died for us as humans he didn't come to die for animals or even to save the fallen angels he died for us and we are the only ones who worship God from redeemed hearts so we know what we are worth to our prodigal father the question is what is the father worth to you So I just want to touch on it. I'm not going to reinvent the wheel here. I just want to touch on a few of the points that he said in that, in that video there. Um, it was funny because as Gail and I were kind of talking about this lesson, you know, we talked about a lot of this. And at the first time I kind of heard it, it was like, okay, you know, that's really cool. And then I'm preparing for it and it's going deeper. And then I'm watching it today and I'm getting choked up up here on stage and just trying to fathom it. So sometimes it takes a little bit to sink in. So I, like I said, I just want to touch on some of the points that he said. The first point that I want to touch on is in order to worship, we must first ask ourselves the question, what is God worth to us? And then to be able to answer that question, we got to first understand what are we worth to God? And I think that's a difficult question for us to answer a lot of times because um, how, do, how do you compare your worth to God? I mean, it, it's God. He's God. How can I compare myself to God? How can I have, out of all the billions of people, trillions, billions, whatever, of people who are living or who have lived or whatever, how could I ever have any value or any worth to God? Especially when I live in muck and mire and this and that and, and, and whatnot. How can I have any worth to God? And I think that's something that I know a lot of times I struggle with a lot is trying to, trying to see that I have value to God because a lot of times I don't feel like I offer anything to God. Or if I do, I have to earn it. I have to do something. I have to be something. I have to live a certain way. I have to act a certain way. And I can't, I can't be a sinner. And, I can't, and I'm not saying that I want to be a sinner, but I mess up. I'm, I'm no different than anybody else. I mess up. And then I feel like I get pulled further and further away from God. Luckily, I have people in my life who constantly remind me of my value to God. And I think that you need to understand yourself that you have major value to God. 
Now, now stop for a second and just listen to me. I want you to hear this with your heart. You have major value to God. You have major value to God. You are the jewel in his, in, in his crown. He loves you more than you can understand. And maybe that's the problem we don't understand. But if you've not heard it before, you have major value to God. You have major worth to God. I want you to hear that. I want you to walk away this morning knowing that. And maybe you've never felt that way before. God loves you. He thinks you are precious. He thinks you are amazing. He thinks you are creative. He thinks you are spectacular. Hear that with your heart this morning. Because if you don't understand how much God loves you and how much God cares about you, how can you ever offer him all the worship that he deserves? So I think that's the first thing that we need to understand. If there was a way that I could describe it any better, I wish I could. But that's the first thing I want you to understand is, is how much he loves you and how special you are to him. We could go through scripture, Old Testament, New Testament, and continuously and constantly pick out scripture and stories about God showing and demonstrating and, 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 give, and offering and giving his love to you and in value to you, and worth to you. I've pulled out a few from, from what he said. For example, he had mentioned 1 John 4, 19. We love because he first loved us. 1 John 3, 1 says, See what great love the Father has lavished on us. There's that word lavished. About the, remember he talked about the prodigal father? See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be ch- called children of God, and that is what we are. Notice the exclamation points. That we should be called children of God. Now, I don't know what your childhood was like. I'm sure that some of people in here had an amazing relationship with their father. I'm sure that some people in here had a terrible relationship with their father. And some people in here may have just had a mediocre, average relationship with their father. Good, bad, medium, I don't think it matters. I think as a child... We constantly want our daddy to say that he's proud of us and that he loves us. The times when your father would introduce you to maybe friends or whatnot and say, this is, this is my son, this is my daughter. How proud that made you feel. Or how much maybe you wanted your dad to say that about you. This is my son, this is my daughter. We're called the children of God. That's how much he loves us. Romans 5.8 God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, while we were still in all of our crud, muck, mire, crap, sin, whatever, while we were still covered with that, 
Christ died for us. So here he is. He loved us before we loved him. He calls us son and daughter. This is my son. This is my daughter. And while we were still in all of our crap, he died for us. Maybe we're starting to get an idea of the picture of how much we're worth to God. I hope so. And then the story that he had mentioned today about the prodigal. The prodigal father. Not necessarily the prodigal son. The prodigal father. The father who lavishly is wasteful on his children. I think we would use the word today like spoils. Like greatly spoils his children. That's our father God. So in, under, in order to understand our worth, or in, under, 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 yeah, in order to understand what God's worth to us, we must first understand what we are worth to God. I hope that maybe that's been demonstrated. I want to read to you guys again, because I don't want to reinvent the wheel here. I want to read to you guys again a little excerpt out of um, kind of the workbook of this, of this, uh, of this series. Uh, listen to this real quick. So what do you do with a love like that? How do you respond to that kind of extravagant love and grace and mercy? You can either respond in disbelief or in gratitude. You can reject it and walk away. Or you can surrender your life to the Father's embrace. Reach your arm around his neck and let him sing over you. Let him sing to you. And then add your voice to the song. And live your life as an act of worship. Not out of obligation or fear or trying to pay back God for in some way, but as a response to his love. As a response of love and gratitude to a father who loves you very much. We know what we're worth to God. We're the worth the life of the son. God sent Jesus to die for us. Jesus didn't die to save animals or to save the fallen angels. He died to save humanity. He, desi- he died to save us and to restore to us the relationship with the Father. Human beings are the only creatures who worship God from redeemed hearts. We are the only ones Jesus died for. We are worth more to God than anything else in all of creation. We know what we're worth to our Father. The question is, what is our Father worth to you? So, like we've kind of been mentioning this morning, we're going to do things a little bit different this morning. I'm going to pull you out of your comfort zone right now, which means you might have to leave your spot in your pew. That's okay. But I have a couple of questions that I want to put up on the screen. And what I'd like you to do is I'd like you to turn and talk to those around you about these questions. I'm going to give you just maybe, I don't know, five, six, seven minutes to do that. You might have to get up and move to get closer to somebody. Um, it might be uncomfortable for you to talk to those around you that you don't know very much, and, and that's going to be okay. We're going to pull you out of your comfort zone a little bit, and if, you know, if that's a problem and if, that, and if that's hard for you, you can talk to Pastor Gail afterwards about that. That's why he's here this morning. Um, but if you really enjoyed it and whatnot, and you got, you know, like God really spoke to you through that, you can come and talk to me. Okay, but I'm going to put a couple questions up here on the screen if you could do that right now. And I want you to just turn and talk to those around you and have maybe about a five-minute discussion over these questions, and then I'm going to bring us back. Go ahead.
I don't want to interrupt anybody's conversations, but I'm starting to get some looks from people that lead me to believe that our conversations are coming to an end. But if it's not, that's, <laughs> that's okay. Please, please, please engage back in the conversation when we're all done here today, okay? But if you were all done, I'm just going to go ahead and move forward and invite the worship team back up right now. Um, so I want to go back to that story that, he was, that uh, Buddy had talked to us about, that boy that was in the wheelchair and how they were at that conference and when worship began, um, when the song began, you know, how that father picked up his son and bear-hugged him and just started singing to him, just started singing in his ear to him. Like, when, when I first had uh, read in there and Gail and I had talked about that, I think that that, is, that story really jarred something in both of us um, because this is what I imagine in my head. So I want you to think about this. We know that that boy was handicapped and uh, due to a football injury, as he had shared with us. So that boy was like physically broken, okay? And the father picked him up, bear-hugged him, and started singing to him. Now I want you to picture that's you. And maybe you're not physically broken. Maybe you are. But at some point, we're all broken spiritually. And that's the whole thing about Christ's redeeming love is that he fixes that brokenness. And so you picture yourself as that broken child. And your father God picks you up and bear hugs you and starts singing into your ear, singing love and worth and value into your ear. What do you do with that? How do you respond to a love like that? You're broken, you're hurt, you need restoration and maybe you have it. What do you do? How do you respond? I don't think you really have any other choice but to, as he said, add your voice to the song. And so what does that mean, add your voice to the song? To start singing? Well, maybe. But I think really what that means is add your worship to the worshiping. And this is something that God's been really speaking in my heart lately about worshiping. I'm not just talking about song or music, but I'm talking about like giving God what's, what's his. He deserves our praise. He deserves our glory because he loves us. And we have value to him. So what is he worth? Hopefully everything. How do you respond? Add your voice. Add your worship. We're going to give you a chance to do that right now. Okay? And again, I don't want us to fall into any illusion that music and song is the only way to worship God. It is not. Worshiping is giving God worth. But we can do that through music and song. So we're going to give you a chance to do that now. And I just invite you into that worship.